All right, man, how you doing? Good. Right, yeah. Tired. Lots of gigs again. Eight this week. Eight gigs. Eight this week. Yeah. Wednesday to Sunday. It's a lot of a lot of coin you're on. Aye. Well, doesn't feel like it. I feel like I make more money, but that goes. It doesn't go as far. Yeah. I'm the same, man. I know. I know. Like, where does it go? Where's that? Where, where's the money going? Well, you drink quite a lot of it away. To be fair, drink as much as you can. Me? Oh, you, you said we. I drink. I have a. I have a small sherry Christmas. A sherry. And that's You've never drank sherry. I've, I've never drank I sherry. I like sherry. I don't even, I don't even know what it tastes like. Uh, there's some good songs with sherry in it. Sherry. Yeah. Sherry Darling by Springsteen. That's yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, um, we have a fucking main guest on this week. Yeah. Yeah. Who have we got? Marcus Brown. I can't wait. I've, we did a bit about Marcus and we Chase. We talked about Marcus Brown on Chase's yeah, podcast. He's in yeah. Chase's band now. But the guy's CV is fucking insane. Yeah. Like, just career heights we would only ever dream of. So, we'll get into that. You say that, mate, but I've, I've dreamed about playing local pubs my whole life. I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, I have no... I was really living the dream when I was doing them moose knuckle gigs in town in minus four. That was... That's that that is cold. Fingerless like. gloves on. That is cold. Looking down to make sure I was still holding the pick. Mm. Fucking awful. Freezing me fucking tits off. I'll edit this bit out. I wouldn't bother. Um, anyway, yeah, Mox Brown, man. Uh, incredible CV. So we'll get into the stuff about when he was playing with Madonna. Oh, man. Seal and stuff like that. And the one and only Jimmy Neil. The Jimmy, Jimmy Neil. Jimmy Neil. No more Neils. <laughs> favourite band. Do you think he would do a... I don't know what Jimmy Neil's album titles are, but you know we're obsessed with the Smokey Robinson ones. Yeah. So we were like, no smoke without fire. Yeah. Or, Smoke signals. Smoke, smoking area. Yeah. Uh, smoking kills. Yeah. I wonder if Jimmy Neil, Jimmy Neil could have some. Hard as nails. Hard as nails is brilliant. Yeah. Hit the nail. Hit the nail on the, the head. head. Yeah. Oh yes. Watch, I'd buy that album. I'd buy that album just to. Just to hit the nail. <laughs> just, head. A, just a picture of yeah. the, the album cover. Just some guy whacking him. When yeah. If anyone, by the way, is listening to this, that we we, we we don't know if people will or not, but yeah. feel free to send in some. Yeah. Suggestions for Jimmy Neil albums, and don't hit Jimmy Neil in the head and say we told you to. That's if we you hit, it, yeah, we didn't say nothing that. to do with us. No. Marcus Brown, then. Marcus Brown, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, incredible. I've been. I don't really know him that well. I, I've never actually met him properly. Uh, I just know him through Chase and through the scene a little bit. So I'm excited to have him round and uh, to to get to know him and see if all the stories are true. Class. So let's do it. And I'm like, I'm a massive Beatles nerd. Like, oh, absolutely. Me too. I mean, yeah. I've got the big um, discography book, the one with oh, every day in the studio. Oh, class, oh yeah. the, um, oh, yeah. the one it's that has all the studio notes and stuff. That, the one that has yeah. what instruments they play on stuff as well. Yeah, yeah it has all the session sheets and who did what. And who loads of the instruments are dead surprising. Like, didn't, they use the, didn't they get two strats that they used for loads of They're given to them. They used two strats on loads of stuff where you think they didn't. Uh, yeah. Um, I was always fascinated by just seeing this, like the session players, you know, like, yeah. um, like people playing like oboe and, yeah, and things mean. like that, or they bring in so-and-so to play like a harpsichord. Or, mm-hmm. um, I was always fascinated by all of that. There's another great one, which is the Beach Boys. Oh, a really? similar book as well, Yeah. Um, in the same design. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fascinating for me because when I was working with Madonna, um, the uh, back and singer Donna Dolores. Mm-hmm. Her father, she told us one day when we were working together, she's like, Oh, you know, my dad played keyboards in the Beach Boys. And I was like, Holy oh, shit. Wow. Like, and she's like, Oh, he's coming to the gig. I'm like, I've got to meet your dad. I've got to yeah, meet your dad. Yeah, like, 
had him in the dressing room and I had like a practice keyboard for warming up and stuff before the mm -hmm. gigs and I, I got him on the keyboard and he's an amazing Cuban piano player. Really? Yeah. But then I went home immediately and got bought the, the Beach Boys book uh, and just was going through. God, trying to find him. <laughs> oh, there he is. Wow, Harpsichord, crazy, Hammond man. organ, all that's these crazy. different instruments that he yeah. played. It was amazing. Did you watch the um, the Peter Jackson, the new Beatles thing? I was just Get Back Sessions. No, I haven't seen that yet, no. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's, I, I watched it all, it's, what is it, like eight seven, hours? Seven and a half, yeah, something like that. I think I watched it in two goes. And oh, just right. felt like I spent, it was really weird because I felt like I spent a weekend with the, the Beatles at that age. It was, because wow. it was so, you just, like not much happens apart but when little bits do happen, like when Paul just sits and makes get back on the bass, or he sits and Long and Wayne Wood comes out, you're just like, what? The? It's so weird that you watch it's it and you amazing. think, you're right, you just said it, they're not, they're not doing anything. They're doing loads, but they're not. Yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, I spoke to him about a few weeks after, I was like, have you seen Get Back? And he's like, oh yeah, I was watching it with, uh, mm. watching it with your message, and you go, they're all arguing and they're fighting, and you're like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry, Billy Preston. Billy's coming, coming soon. Billy's coming. Yeah. Billy's on his way. He's coming out. Cool. Like, wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, when you when you watch it, it obviously because it's in it's in real time, pretty much like, um, never did the need Billy Preston more. Like you can sense that they need something. They need a little kick up the arse. Yeah. And then when he comes, he's just this big, smiling, amazing musician, and just like fixes it. It's, like I love Billy Preston. Well, it's a believe, isn't it? It's a sorry. Well, the world, it's a. Well, it's a um, EP too, I'm not sure, no, I'm yeah. not sure what it was, but uh, it's just his presence more than anything. It's just, Does it get back? Uh, the actual track, though? Aye, uh, and he played on Don't Let Me Down as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He played on the rooftop thing, didn't he? Was he not in the background um, on the rooftop? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he, I think he was in the in the background on the yes, rooftop. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. I love um, Ringo's coat on the roof. He's got that big... Is it, is it, is the, like the John Watson. The big fur coat, he just looks <laughs> so cool Ringo I think Ringo comes across as the coolest person on it when you watch it because he's just like he just lets them fight and crack on and do whatever they're doing and he's just like how quick does this want to be he, yeah he seems to be the person who found his place in the band oh, the quickest yeah, yeah. Um, and you know I mean <laughs> even things like the drum stool with a back on it mm -hmm. a backrest yeah. that was all Ringo because he spent all his time just sat behind the drums going Right, you well, tell me when you're ready and I'll, yeah. I'll be here. Well, didn't he, when they were doing, uh, I'm sure there's a story, but when they were doing Sergeant Peppers, oh, the thing he got good chess. at chess. Yeah. <laughs> because he was just like sitting bored. He, he just, he, he got good at chess because he was sitting bored. It's, all, it's always the, I think, for a recording process, it must be one of the, um, one of the weirder mem band members to be, is being the drummer. Because yeah. once that drum takes down mm. and everybody's happy with it, you kind of, yeah. yeah, unless you've got some shakers or other things to do. Oh, harmonies as well, I suppose, yeah. but like, yeah, but once it is, it's done, it's done. I think that's where annoying drummers come from, because <laughs> they just sit around for the next five days going... Just wanting to pitch in when they yeah. shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah, I suppose that's probably right. Can you turn my snare up? Yeah. <laughs> so we might as well get back to the Madonna thing since you brought, since, you know, get we're back. here. So get, get back. back. Get back, yeah, yeah. I didn't do that on purpose, but thank it's you. genius, though. <laughs> How did that... Um, so let's start start from the beginning of, of like what happened in America. So we we live in America when you met the people who put you in touch with Madonna. Then no, no, um, I was living in London. Um, what year was this? Sorry, this would be ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, I was 
doing a lot of programming. Uh, in fact, that was pretty much all I was doing. So it was, I bought a bunch of gear. Mm-hmm. At that particular point, I'd had enough sort of session work that I could afford um, to buy maybe what everybody else didn't have. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, we still had like MPC 60s or drum machines or mm-hmm. like a sequencer that would drive your work. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have a bunch of samplers. So I had this ridiculous rack with eight samplers in and then another rack with every keyboard in and a couple of drum machines and bought a van and, you know, had a roadie mm-hmm. and basically could session every day out of either Metropolis or, you know, uh, Townhouse or any right. of the east, east, uh, west side, any of those studios, I was pretty much working five, six days a week. Right. So it was great. Got to meet loads of people, played on loads of records, um, met Chris Potter, who obviously produced The Verve, mm-hmm. um, did some odds and sods in the same sort of room and in the same building and things. So, you know, there was a little bit of a relationship there, but it was mainly um, Steve Sedonik, who's a drummer, um, who had mentioned to Chris, oh, if you need somebody to help put Richard's work together, because the verb had just split. Right. So Richard wanted to go solo and he made the record, mm-hmm. but he needed a band, needed an MD, um, and needed somebody to you know help put it all together. And obviously somebody who could handle um, the orchestral stuff. All right, okay. Because um, the Verve and subsequently Richard's records um, rely quite heavily yeah. on a, on big orchestrations. Um, and Richard didn't, or well, not didn't, but preferred not to work with any kind of click or oh, any okay. kind of track sort of stuff. So they needed a keyboard player who could work out a way to take all of those string orchestrations and not just play them on a Mm. on a patch of string sounds, but take the actual real orchestra, but manipulate it so that if the tempo changed, oh, it wouldn't go out. Yeah. So that resulted in Chris asking me if I could help. So I got the job MDing and then just spent weeks cutting <laughs> all the strings mm-hmm. into tiny little segments, basically into one bar segments. So How long would that have been in, in, in the 90s then? Uh, well, you needed a lot of samplers. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you were the samplers, I guess, and just like kept those snippets and then changed pitches. So, supposing you've got like an eight bar phrase yeah. from the string. So, take like Bittersweet Symphony or something. <clears throat> so, you've got the, the D chord, the A minor chord, the C chord, the yeah. G chord. So, you can cut those all on the bar, but I would have to then time stretch them slightly so that if we were playing slightly slower, they wouldn't run out. That altered the pitch then slightly as well. So no, but you had to it, you had to do it like old school time stretching with right. an Akai sampler or with an emulator sampler or something like that. There was yeah. no like doors back then where you could draw it on the screen and just go oh, stretch yeah, that a bit. Yeah. It didn't work that way, so it took ages to do. And then I would then have the entire song on an eighty-eight note keyboard, starting at the bottom C, would be bar one, beat one. Yeah. And then with one, one hand, I would go through chromatically playing the entire track. Wow. So this hand was playing, this hand's playing chromatically with no relevance to what key you're in. And this is live. This is live. live. And then the other hand I would use to play any subsequent lines. So like I would be playing piano in harmonic. So if we're playing in G, I'm playing G 
with my right hand or left hand, but with the other hand playing chromatically. So you had a piano split on one on your left no, I, hand, I guess, was the was the was the arrangement, and the right hand was all the melody and whatever else. As much as you yeah. could split that way, I yeah. mean, even things down to dun 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 dun, yeah. that was all split into individual notes. Right. So one hand would be playing that. It's my hand. And the other hand, but they're all chromatic because there was no way to actually lay them on the keyboard. That so you're not <coughs> playing a note that would be on the piano. You're playing it. On a different note. It's fucking crazy. It's mind bending. Horrible. And it, it, it took me ages to work it out. Yeah. But it was the only way you could do it back then. So anyhow, that led to a tour, um, which was fantastic. We had a great band. We had a choir. There was a horn section. Um, we had BJ Cole on lap steel, pedal steel, oh, wow. um, who iconically played on all the verb stuff as well. So that was fantastic having him there. Uh, and Richard was just an absolute diamond to work with. Um, incredibly engaging on stage. Just you yeah. know, like it goes somewhere special. You know? really? And I could see the point then why it didn't have didn't need to be on click. It had oh, to have, it had to have this movement. So were you, were you never like uh, thinking, oh, see, this would be so much easier if you just did this? Or, or did that? Yeah, that like... Well, it does at first. Yeah. But, um, although maybe at that point because we're still just talking about 97, 98. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as prevalent then. Right. And, you know, in-ears were just starting to come into play. Mm -hmm. So, it, and Richard still used monitors. He still used wedge, uh, wedges in front of him. Um, so maybe it didn't really um, have that much prevalence back then. Or so I, That's maybe why it never came up to right. me. Okay. But yeah, there were points where you're like, oh, Christ, this would be well, a lot easier. Really working hard in your yeah, and you can't, you can't like lax in concentration and enjoy the music because you are splitting your brain into two things and, and literally if you do pardon my French if you do fuck up the left hand or whatever hand's doing the chromatic work you've suddenly, you've suddenly fired the wrong chord of the orchestra yeah. over the top of everybody else playing the right chord Does so, that happen? once or twice yeah, yeah. Uh, um, or you might accidentally clip a key yeah and you've just launched an entire different chord with yeah. a full orchestra playing it and made a monumental cock up. Yeah. So it had to be worked on till it was right. Um, but anyway, so we toured that. We got to the penultimate gig, um, which I believe was in Birmingham. And Richard had an accident on stage. He came off stage for the encore and he slipped behind stage and fell down a stairwell Ooh, wow. and broke a few ribs Ooh. and the band came off and it was dark and nobody could see and we were more or less going where's richard without realizing that we were actually standing on him <laughs> wow really? yeah he was like passed out on the floor and it wasn't until one of the crew got a mag light out and it was like oh hang on here he is wow. um got him up and he was in a bit you know in a bad way um, and obviously the encore was bit, bit a sweet symphony. So we went back on. He was like, just get out there and start it. So we all went out and I kicked it off. And he pulled himself together, God bless him, and came out with the guitar with no shirt on and like blood everywhere. And really? he's all beaten up here. And just went to the mic and went, you're going to have to sing this. And the audience sang the entire track from top to bottom. 
amazing. Which was amazing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. While he sort of sat there trying to compose himself, he was yeah. obviously dying and in a lot of pain. Um, so the, the next gig was the end of tour gig, which was at Brixton Academy. Mm. So we had to cancel that for oh, really? three months while he got better. So we postponed it. Meanwhile, Madonna was working on an album called Music with Mirrorways, um, and that had been completed, and they were starting a promo tour. So her promo tour, for some reason, when we rescheduled the Brixton Academy gig with Richard, um, Madonna was the support slot. Right. Yeah, seems odd. Odd, yeah. Which is the straight, I mean, strangest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she came with a very small band, which had my friend in Steve Sedelnik playing drums. We were not close friends at this point, but we were acquaintances, yeah. I suppose. Um, did the gig, briefly met her, saw Sid, um, and didn't think anything of it. A few months go by, and like I said, I was doing a lot of session work, and I was in the countryside in Kent at Chris Difford's studio. Oh, wow. Um, working with Marty Pello from yeah. Wet, Wet, Wet. Yeah. Who's, again, a phenomenal person to work with. Um, what, well. oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Such a lovely guy as well. Um, yeah, I missed, I missed working with Marty. He was great fun. But anyhow, we're working away and the phone rang and it was my manager. And she said, oh, Marcus, I've got um, a conference call here. Um, somebody wants to talk to you. Um, it's Madonna. And <laughs> I went, yeah, right, whatever. And I put the phone down. <laughs> Um, Marty was sat next to me at the desk. He's like, everything all right? I'm like, no, 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 somebody's winding me up. So went back to, you know, hit and play on the tape machine and farting around with the bass drum or whatever we were doing. And the phone rings again. I'm like, yeah, what, what? I'm trying to work here. And it was my manager. She's like, Marcus, seriously, um, there's somebody on the phone here who wants to talk to you. And this voice kicked in and it was Madonna. <laughs> and I just heard that voice go, hey, Marcus. Yeah. Um, it's Madonna here. Um, I'm putting a band together. Um, I saw you in London um, with Richard. Um, do you want to come out and do some keyboards for me? Um, Steve Sedelnik reckons you're the man to do the job. Um, would you be interested? So, I mean, obviously, on the telephone, yeah. completely dumbfounded. Not quite sure whether this is real or not. Um, get off the phone and <laughs> Marty was sat next to me again. He's like, was that who I thought it was? Yeah. I went, yeah, I think it was. Wow. I went, I don't know what to do. And he went, mate, you've got to go. Mm. I went, yeah, but I'm right in the middle of working on your record. Like, we've got a contract and there's all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I'm supposed to, you know, work on these next three tracks and whatever the deal was. And he just laughed at me. He was like, She's the queen of pop, mate. You've got to go. Get yourself away. So that was a Tuesday afternoon. And I lived in London at the time. So I literally packed up right there and then. He was like, dude, the session's over. It's good. Just get yourself away. It was amazing. Drove back up to London, packed a bag, and got on the plane on a Thursday and flew out. 
Um, I'd never been on a first class flight flight before. First class as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which that was quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know the usual limo to pick you up at the airport and all that sort of thing. So it was very was there a daunting. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Um, got there on the Thursday night, US time, and they drove me straight to the studio to the rehearsal space, which was the sound stage where Star Wars was filmed. <laughs> it was the one where they had the Death Star. Yeah. Um, so I'm like freaking out. Uh, yeah, sure, you must have been really, really freaking out. Like, I was really freaking out. How old would you have been at that point at this point? Um, I was 29. Wow. Um, uh, I mean, I got on the plane with <laughs> with a Walkman with all of Madonna's CDs yeah. and some um, a notepad and also some manuscript paper. And I had the intention of listening to the new... Uh, at the time, the album was called Music. So I thought, I'd better have a quick listen through all this and make some notes. And um, I wrote... I remember I've still got the piece of paper somewhere, the manuscript. I think I wrote and then they brought the fish and the drinks round, and that's all I wrote. That's as far as it got. And then, you know, woke up in Los Angeles, took me straight to the studio, obviously completely jet-lagged and not really knowing where you are. But sure, you're thinking, I haven't got time to feel like this, I've got to... Yeah, game face on. But um, yeah, walked into this place and there was like a... There was a, a rig set up with the guitarist. There was a, a drum rig set up. I'd spoken to um, my keyboard tech, who I'd been assigned, who... Uh, was Steely Dan's ex-keyboard tech. So I'm like, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. And he rang me from America going, hey, I'm, you know, you're a tech. What kind of gear do you want? And I literally just went, mate, get one of everything and we'll work out what we need when I get there because I don't really know what I'm going to be doing. So just get a bunch of stuff, give him a quick list. Um, got there and it was all there in the corner already. Um, met a few people, sort of, you know, I'll sit down in the corner and just see what's going on, get a, get a feel. And this place is massive. It's like a gigantic hangar. And um, William Orbit was there and they were, you know, going through stuff off Ray of Light, right. which I was just like, it's one of my favourite records of all time. So I'm sitting there watching William and then met William and then, I, you know, thought I'll go and have a little look behind the keyboards and stuff and see if we can see what's going on here. And then the door opened and um, Madonna came in with... Um, an entourage. She was at the far side of the room, dark glasses on, and um, she took her dark glasses down and just waved. I thought, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Seeing as like, you know, I don't really know you. Yeah. Um, so did she make you feel welcome then? Yeah, she kind of like just waved and went like, one sec. Like, enough to like, like, like I'll be with you in a minute, you know, yeah. like, which I thought was really cool to acknowledge me immediately yeah. upon walking in the room. And then, you know, she came across and um, I'd got the impression when I walked in that things weren't going well. Right. Um, I'd with heard that... the album. You know, no, with, the, with putting the band together and finding a band, I think there'd been some people 
like excommunicated <laughs> quite recently um, from what I could gather. So there was a bit of a nervous tension and I remember she came across and gave me a hug straight away. She's like, you good? I was like, yeah, yeah. This is been a bit of a... What did she smell like? Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean though? Like, I'm just trying to picture Never this. think of it, man. I've got a block of nose today. Like. Just, and just imagining getting a fucking hug off. I can't remember getting hugged off Madonna. I like getting a hug off you, man. I mean, it's... <laughs> I, I, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to... Oh, Marcus will give us a hug later. Like. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'll pass it on. <laughs> yeah. I just think... You must remember... Like, that's such a massive moment that you must remember everything sexually from us. You must remember how she smelled. Yeah. What a clothing felt like when you hugged her yeah, yeah. what the room was like how hot you like you, it's, it's such a massive moment that, like, that continues for quite a period as well it's how not do you mean uh, the smell it's a lovely <laughs> it's a lovely lingering really nice perfume it's a lingering smell <laughs> um, no it, it continues for quite some time that you don't really get over it yeah that's what I mean yeah it's still you can have you can have a relationship and a work relationship and conversations some private some public but you still walk away going, fuck me, that's, that, Madonna. that's Madonna. I mean, meeting someone like Madonna or Michael Jackson or Prince or it's not much different to meeting someone like fucking Santa Claus. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's crazy. You well, know what I mean? Is that not the weird thing when she just waves at you you're like, ah, oh, that's Madonna, but that just she's happened. just a normal person though as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. just, she's not just like ignored me or anything like that. She's just a regular person. I, I mean, she's awesome. Yeah. and what she does but at the same time she's just like a human underneath all that's what I'm saying is that even later on because it was like an eight year period even later on when there was some more personal things when you know you're hanging out with her so it's eight years you're with her yeah wow. when you're hanging out in a sort of you know in a home environment where you've been invited for dinner or things yeah. like that or you're having breakfast with her like things like that it doesn't really change you're still there's a portion of you going what is going on here yeah. so you never sat think you're never like yeah that's I think could, from, do you think you could ever be f f like friends with her if that but not, obviously you'd be friendly with her and you, you can call her a friend but could you ever be friends with somebody like that where it's just like you're Madonna I, I, that's, that's, you know I think I mean? it works for both sides I, don't, I think a lot of people in, in her position probably don't necessarily fully release everything because mm -hmm. there's trust issues I would imagine yeah. but it's the same on, on, on my side you never really think it's real Mm. It's always so far away from what you're really used to. I suppose, yeah, I suppose. That you have to keep pinching yourself, going, all right, okay, this is really happening. I am actually here. Yeah. So anyway, back to the story. She wandered over and um, had a cuddle and stuff, and then she's like, right, okay, um, so I take it you know all the stuff. And she's kind of like threw that at me. She's like, so you good? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd just seen the set list, and the set list was 36 songs at wow. that point. Yeah. And I was like, um, I went, okay, let me just stop you there. And I could, when I said that, <laughs> I could literally see people behind her yeah. oh. going in different directions, going, oh shit, here we go. Yeah. Like, he's a goner. Yeah. No, no eye contact. Stuff like yeah, people were just going, oh <laughs> fuck, no, he's gone and said it. <laughs> and I went, okay, um, let me just, you know clarify us yeah obviously like I'm extremely aware and aware of all of your music yeah. you know um, and I think I said I grew up listening to your music which is probably not another great thing to say um, and while this is all going on her glasses are just slowly coming down mm. like this and the eyes are fixing 
And I got to the end of my big sort of speech about how, okay, I, I obviously know your material. Mm. Um, I went, what day is it today? And she's like, it's Thursday. I went, okay, right. I went, you'll be rehearsing tomorrow and Saturday. I said, I believe you're taking Sunday off. I went, how's about Monday I come in and I'll know the first 18 songs mm. by Monday? And there was a silence like yeah. that. Yeah. And she went, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I was like, right. I went, look, I'm, I'm obviously just going to need some time. Yeah. A couple of days. I've just got here. She's like, right. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Monday morning, first set or the first half. Mm -hmm. um, so then she, <laughs> she gave us another hug and she's like, okay, I've got to go next door for a dance rehearsal. So she headed back across this gigantic um, workspace, gets to the door and turned round. And I kid you not, she dropped her glasses one more time and just looked straight at me across the room. And she went, you're not fucking kidding me, are you? <laughs> I went, no, I'm not. Monday morning, first set, sorted. She was like, okay, cool. And then out the door she went. When it came to learning them first 18 songs then, and you had obviously a few days to do it. This is, in, this is, in, it's such a different time to what we live in now where if we want to get the basis for a song we can either play it by ear and learn a few chords or we can look online and the, well, this goes, this is them four chords in the, in the bridge then in the chorus whatever but then did you have to sit and were people giving you charts or did you have to right okay because obviously there's different you can't just learn the record because the live they're going to be different arrangements of course of course so how it works with that particular scenario, and probably with if you were to take a job with like I don't know, J Lo or Shakira or any anything in that kind of bracket or Beyonce, yeah. this is normally how it would work. Um, you have a Pro Tools rig, right, in the corner, which basically has an archive of every one of our records on, right. on a multi track. So if you're working on say, um, like a Virgin or you know borderline or any one of those tracks and you need to get what you okay what we'd typically do is stand around listen to the multi-track mm -hmm. and then start muting things going okay, okay I can do that line yeah. I can take that one mm -hmm. I can take that one if I sample that I can do that on another hand over there yeah okay, I can take that guitarist will go through and look at his parts there might be two guitar parts, so, right, okay, I'll take that part there. Yeah. Can you just sample that one and spin that? Or should we leave that one on track? So you basically whittle it down to as much as... We had four live musicians on stage. Right. So I was doing all keyboards. Mm -hmm. There was another guy who was doing a mixture of keyboards and guitar. Then we had a dedicated guitarist who would flip sometimes to bass. Right. And then drummer. It was entirely electronic. So stuff on track as well then? Yes, then another guy on the stage who would run everything, anything subsequent that we couldn't play. Mm -hmm. Or we decided, we had certain rules, like if it's a, if it's a 16th sequence, mm -hmm. something that's like da, 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 that's precise, what's the point? Right. You can't stand there and go, yeah, yeah. for like five minutes, what's the point of that? It's stupid. Um, so either sequence that or just leave it on okay. on the on yeah. the Pro Tools. But anything that's physically playable, mm -hmm. doable, or pads, or you know brass sounds, things like that. Um, Was there ever parts when you were playing it that you didn't, not that you didn't want to play, but the things that you didn't, and like you thought, oh, I wish this was on on track, and I'd play this part. Or was it always like, 
No, you would try and make, knowing that you're going to be doing that for, well, three and a half months in rehearsals. Really? Um, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. We were doing sometimes 18 hours a day because we would work um, in the rehearsal space and then we would all shoot back to a studio mm-hmm. till God knows what time in the morning to make adjustments ready for the next day. So when you're, living, when you're living like that, like surely your lifestyle must suffer if you're, if you're doing 12 and 18 hours a day, you kind of be eating right, you kind of be getting the right amount of water and sleep and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's other tough. things going on. Like you, obviously, you might have a drink or whatever, but like, it must re- it must be, it must be fucking exhausting. It is. Um, you've got. I think the rehearsals are more exhausting than the tour. It sounds like it. Yeah, and yet, it's longer hours. And, yet, and the, like the monotony of it. You're, you're always in the same room, same people. I think I worked it out one time that in one on one tour. Before I'd actually, I think it was the first tour, before we'd actually hit the stage and done the first gig, mm-hmm. I'd played like a version 1,720 times. Oh, wow. Is the tour like, is that kind of like the reward for all the rappers? Or is that, yeah, is that like the... It is for the first sort of, I would say the first month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is great. Um, but then you realise why... In that rehearsal period, you have made all these crucial decisions as to what you're going to play and where it's going to be played Um, because you can't change it. Once it's done, Mm -hmm. it's done because there are so many other factors to to take into consideration that once you hit that production stage, there's really only two and a half weeks to three weeks of band rehearsal. So the band has it down. Usually in two weeks, three weeks maximum, mm-hmm. and then ensues three months of production rehearsals, where you're in- oh, okay. gradually integrating the dancers. Then oh. you move to a big oh, stage. Okay. Oh, okay. Then you- I didn't think so. When you said it before, I thought you were literally playing the songs. Over no, of course it's a yeah. show, isn't it? It's but not just, it's not just yeah, it's a show. So that's the show, that's yeah. the thing that really, really starts to hit home. Um, that anything I've done prior to that, mm-hmm. because it was music. Music is the key focus of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You don't worry about lights and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's, you know, you turn up at, when it was with the, ver- uh, sorry, Richard, um, we would have like a day and a half's production rehearsals yeah. where they put some light and rig in that somebody's agreed and, and a sure. couple of balls yeah. going up and down and Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. Some follow spots and that's the usual. Yeah. It's not the same with her. And you, re- you realise that very early on. Yeah. You're like, hang on a second. After two months of production rehearsals, then you have a final month where you move into a stadium. And then you spend a month in a stadium. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think in total, actually two months, I think in total with all the tours that I did with Madonna, um, the Forum in Los Angeles, that was always the preferred stadium that you would work in prior to going on tour. Yeah. Um, with combined all tours that I've done with her, I've spent just under 12 months in the forum. And that was just rehearsal? Just rehearsals. It's oh, crazy. So one year of my life yeah. was spent in the forum on a daily wow. basis. Isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. 
How about like when you're obviously when, when you're working? Do you ever did you ever was there ever a point when you're like, oh, can we, you know, I'll play this again, or uh, were you ever sick of playing the same Madonna songs or like the same band members even? No, we were really lucky. Um, when it was when I was in the band, it was the same four people, well five people, because I include Mike McKnight heavily under the stage. Um, but the four top guys, um, Steve Sedelnik on drums, um, Monty Pittman on guitar, Stuart Price, great producer, who um, was doing keys and guitars and everything else, and then myself on keys. Um, three of us were English. Mm -hmm. Um, so that raised the comedy level immensely. Um, unfortunately, um, Monty, the guitarist, was from Texas and we just hit it off straight away. Oh, great, he was absolutely hilarious. Um, and we're all still really, really close. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was Sid's birthday, the drummer. I call him Sid. Um, Sid's 60th yesterday. So, you know, we were chatting. Um, Monty's out with um who's he playing with now on oh, ministry right yeah because he's a big metal head yeah so there was a really really eclectic bunch as well in the band yeah well that's good people came from very very different backgrounds um and we all sort of found ourselves in the same place mm -hmm. and all had that genuine holy shit yeah yeah what is going on here this is amazing yeah. i think is it's kind of lost on a lot of other people, but I really felt that us four, everywhere we went, we were just like super grateful. Yeah, you well, surely you would be, man. Like, even to be in the same, well, you know what? Even just doing that job, as a job, you yeah. it's something you should be grateful for. Never mind the fact that you're doing these fucking mad gigs with the best gear possible, the best yeah. technicians and Madonna. Like, yeah. that's a, I mean, that's an unbelievable position that very few people will ever, ever be in. I think the first, the very first gig that we did in Barcelona. Is this the first live Madonna The gig? first live Madonna gig I ever did was in Barcelona. So then we finished working in the forum for rehearsals. And then here again, there was another level of rehearsal. We shipped the entire crew to Barcelona because that's where the first opener night was. Right. And then we had a week in the stadium at Barcelona, wow. tidying up just to make sure ready for the first night. Yeah. So we spent like a month in Barcelona. Was when you're, so when you're saying you're tidying up and you're, and, and you're rehearsing that, are you literally running every song all the way through completely the way it's going to be? Or are you going like, right, well, this song's on now. We know it starts with this. It's got this stop here. And it, we don't need to play it again. We've played it 10 million times. Or are you going, we're running this yeah. from fucking uh, did, eight to From that seven. point on, from that, well, even a little bit earlier, you literally don't run songs. You run the show. Right, okay then. So, like, yeah. like the whole thing then. So, on rehearsal days, you'd run the show three times a day. Fuck me, that's a lot. That's then a it's lot. a two and a half hour show. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah. you got to think about it, all the dancers, everything's got to synchronise. I guess everything's on track and everything's on, like, at this time, this happens every night. Oh, yeah. This so, time, this has to be. You've got, you've got the entire sound department and the entire lighting <coughs> video department who are all running on the same clock. Yeah, like everything's so it's about been, getting the whole team. Everything's perfect. being generated from the same synthy generator. Yeah. So you know, like when 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 that guy on the stage <laughs> says, "Right, are we going?" and he hits play on the master computer, yeah. that's locking up all the sound, all the lights, all the video, 
So there's a central controller on everything. It's not like you can start the music and then the video people all lock themselves up. Yeah, and it's, it's not running so, from one central clock. So this is this is sounds daft, but even if you like see you're, you're two thirds in, you're like, fuck, I've got to take a piss, man. What am I gonna do? <laughs> no, seriously, even in a room, you've got, I'm fucking dying for a piss, whatever. You've got you've got to go and the, the show's gonna keep going with or without you. Do you want to know a funny story about that? I do, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be good. So yeah. I quickly realised this, um, and my keyboard rig um, was fully motorised, so it could move around the stage. And there was two guys that operated, like one guy for to go that way, another guy to make it go this way. Are you are you attached to this? Yes, you're so on you, top so of it. So somebody can somebody's driving you around. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking cool. And it goes up and down that's in all mint. kinds of directions. So all of that you've got to work. That takes weeks to get practised. And it can be a bit daunting when the whole thing takes off sometimes and you're not ready for it. Um, and on one occasion, it did go wrong and the entire keyboard rig and myself went off the side of the stage oh, 20 wow, feet. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And it happened to the guitarist as well. He lost all his guitars. They went off the side one, one day. Jesus. Um, but going back to the toilet thing. So anyhow, you do realise this, that you're up there and you're like, oh, really wish I'd gone for a piss before I started this. <laughs> Anyhow, one day, particular gig, um, I got two songs in and I'm like, I'm looking at the set list going, fuck, man, there's 32 songs to go. I ain't <laughs> going to make this. This is not happening. And there's no break because it just goes constantly. Um, so I had, you have a little talkback button so you can speak to other members in the band. Mm -hmm. So there's one talkback button for that. Mm -hmm. So we can all communicate without her hearing us. Right, okay. Then there's another one where we can talk and she can hear us. Mm. And then there's another one for you to talk to your tech. Right. So I'm pushing the tech button. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to flip and get me a bottle. I ain't going to make it like, I'm going to have to piss. Uh, fortunately, we were wearing clothing, which was designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier for that tour. So I had a long kilt on. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So I managed to wiggle out of my underpants. Excellent. Um, while still playing. While still playing, Perfect. yeah. I think it was in the middle of Material Girl, which I found Brilliant. really funny yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, wiggled out the pants, and then there was a trapdoor underneath the keyboard rig, so this little trapdoor just opens up, <laughs> and a Snapple bottle appears <laughs> with a pair of oven gloves. Really? Oh. Right. So my, my keyboard tech's got a pair of oven gloves on, holding a Snapple bottle. So I grabbed the Snapple bottle up underneath the kilt, back to playing, gripping the Snapple bottle between my legs, whilst just, you know, looking around, Jeez. playing away. Anyhow. Is this live or in This is live. Box. This is on stage. Um, then I really I start to realise that I'm going to fill this bottle and I might it's need a second. So push the button again. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to get another one. Wow, that's amazing. This guy's like... <laughs> so the oven gloves appear again through the trapdoor, and I'm handing down steaming bottles of um, yes. yeah, basically. And the mean, what's amazing about the story as well is that there's like thousands of screaming fans. Yeah, they so, having the best night of their life, not realizing the keyboard players having a piss under a kilt. That's excellent. So basically, what happened? Just knowing the way things work on on those kind of high profile gigs. I figured, because I'd actually taken a piss on stage, 
It might be a really good idea to fess up before the story gets blown up into any strange proportion where next thing you're freaking fired, you know? So we get to the end of the gig and at the back of the stage, there's like a runway that comes off. And usually what happens is the dancers and everybody, we all pile off together. Mm -hmm. So you're actually leaving the stage with Madonna. And she'll either go straight into a car or she might go back to the dressing room if there's an after thing, whatever. But as we were coming down the ramp, like sweating balls everywhere, you know, and she's exhausted, everyone's exhausted. You're all really hyped. Um, I happened to be walking next to her and she was just like, do you have a good one? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I said, I had, in- I had an interesting one. I said, I had to take a piss. And she's like, oh, how did you do it? Oh, I really? went, oh, I pissed in a bottle under my kilt. And she's like, oh, that's nothing. I took a shit in a bin once. No way. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> And that, I'm kind of glad I brought it up because I wouldn't have known that and it totally diffused the situation because oh, I figured if anybody's going to complain about me taking a piss in a Snapple bottle, yeah. at least I didn't take a shit in a bin. So was she quite down to earth then? Was she like, yeah. was she yeah. up for a joke and one of the, one of the guys? And yeah, stuff? yeah. When, That's when, amazing. Like. When you're out of work, yeah. Yeah. When you're out of work, definitely. On a, so there was never, I mean, like, <clears throat> diva's a ridiculous word, but when you talk about the queen of pop, but there was never like, like tyranny it was always like um was it more was it very much like a team or it, it depends from which perspective um i think sometimes holding that amount of crew and that amount of you know the dancers and all that mm. sort of thing mm. um holding their attention and keeping everybody on track mm. you have to have the whip out quite a lot yeah which is fair enough um but i would say and this might be something also to do with the fact that we were British. She was never like that with the band. Right. Because we would just normally take the piss. Okay, then. Which she really liked. Yeah. So yeah. it became quite funny. Like, if she went... If she would have a moan about something, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be unheard of for one of us to go, oh, shut up. Just really? give us five minutes wow. and I'll fix it. Like, it could... I mean, that's great. That's it's insane. Crazy. Yeah. Um... Well, she, you know, if she would say to me, Marcus, what are you doing on the keyboard? I'm like, just give us a minute. But even even that one little thing there is just is crazy. That's cool, though. I mean, I, it's good to be, it's, yeah. at least you were in that position where you felt comfortable enough to do that. But, because I think that she knew that you would fix it. Yeah. She, she doesn't mind, she doesn't mind that. And this is my where my respect for her is. She doesn't mind that if you don't bullshit. And yeah. I think from day one, I didn't bullshit her. Yeah. I told her initially that you're going to have to wait a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold your clogs, love. Yeah. But I've seen so many people, from lighting directors to, you know, video people, all sorts, that she's reduced to tears mm-hmm. because they haven't told the truth. Yeah, they've just been... They've said, oh, yeah, that'll be fixed. Yeah. And then it's not fixed. And then she's like, why is that not fixed? Yeah. You're a dick. At that level, surely she was. She must have been a perfectionist as well. She doesn't miss a thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Mark said. Like you were, you weren't a yes on day one. You weren't a yes man. You were like, I'll sort it on Monday. I'll get it. Yeah, and that probably her, set the give the parameters tone. that she can work with, yeah. and you are fine. If you waffle around and go, oh, I'm going to get this, and there's so and so coming to fix that, and yeah. we'll have it done by you know, yeah. it might be, but we don't know whether that trust word's going to do. She's not interested. She just give me a time when it's fixed and it'll be ready, and we'll move on. So that was eight years around the world. Sorry, lads. Yeah. Another piss question. I need to go for one. Let's take a quick break. Should we take a break? Is that all right? Yeah. Hey. I thought that was topical. They knew nothing about funerals. 
Just, oh, just asking the most ridiculous questions. It was cool as fuck. Yeah. Is there anyone alive and all that so sort of I, stuff? So all you said to him in the end of the podcast, I was like, uh, but me and Dave have both got stupid questions for you, but I'm going to go first because Dave's is way stupider than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing was like, uh, I went, oh, how did you feel when you first seen a dead body? That sort of typical yeah. question. And we got onto a conversation and I went, right, Dave, it's your turn to ask. And he was like, no, I don't want to. I was like, go on. And I bet you're going to be alive. Is that what I sound like? Well, I can't do the accent. Do me again. Go on. No. <laughs> but he's never seen a dead body. I've That's never mad. seen one dead body in my life. No, I mean, not that I want to talk about Well, I know, but I know we've, yeah. talked, we've done this, but I can't believe that. How have you not known anybody that's... Died? I've known people that have died. I've just, when they've died, I've been going, well, I've been going to hang out with them. Can I have a look? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, like can I check? It's like the end of birdies, like, it's not... Uh, <laughs> I'm not taking them for a day out. <laughs> final, <laughs> the final drive. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we're back on. If he's, uh, oh, cool, man. <laughs> um, so how did the, so how did the Madonna, Madonna thing end? Um, right, okay, that's um, that's interesting. And what was the, what, so eight years later, what, what's that like, what, what year would that have been? Well, about 2007, 2008. Right, and this is a personal question, sorry, but you must have made some kind of fucking wedge off that. Like, um, yeah, I was it, doing it all right. Be, was, it must be well paid doing doing that. Yeah, I was doing all right. I mean, I bought a house and stuff like right, that. Um, In America? Yeah. Um, but um, it has its ups and downs. The major problem... I found after the very first tour because basically you're away you're out for a year mm-hmm. so it's three months rehearsal then six to nine months on the road and that's non-stop mm-hmm. so it's basically a 12 month contract mm-hmm. um, but she doesn't do that every year yeah so you so then finishes. find you then find that your yearly income which has probably been like the biggest money you've ever seen in your life mm-hmm. so you know you can kind of go a bit crazy with that and buy yeah. this, buy that and the other and get a house and things. And then you don't think. It's going to end. You're like, yeah. oh shit, what am I going to do next year? She's not touring. Right then, we're having a little break, but check your podcast feed for part two. 